Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder and executive director of Question Mark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, we're really pleased to welcome Helen Barron, who's an expert in psychometric measurement and assessment. She's developed numerous original psychometric tests, as well as being published widely in the area of equal opportunities and selection issues. Helen has a particular interest in the use of technology and advanced psychometric theory to enhance measurement. She designed the first internet-delivered random item selection test generator used broadly in selection in the UK. She is an associate fellow of the British Psychological Society and is a chartered psychologist. Based in London, she presents regularly in conferences in the UK and around the world. She has also great experience in translating and adapting materials for international use. Really thrilled to have Helen with us today. Welcome. Hi, John. Very happy to be here and to talk to you. Great, great. A bit about presenting conferences around the world sounded good. If only we could do that. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I, in fact, met you, Helen, at, at an ISO uh, 10667 standards meeting where we uh, jointly collaborated on that and uh, had some uh, nice visits to various parts, parts of Europe, which I also would like to go back to. Can we start by, like I ask everybody, how did you get into assessment at the beginning of your career? So I don't think that I'm very different from a lot of people in that I didn't know what I wanted to do uh, in my career quite. And I started out um, studying mathematics um, at university um, and then I didn't quite know what to do with a degree in maths and philosophy. Um, and I got into really just working with adults with learning difficulties and decided that I'd maybe go in and study something around that. And that's how I got into psychology. And then when I got into psychology, I discovered the assessment piece and psychometrics. And that brought together my maths and uh, a little bit of the philosophy because I'd done all sorts of things like artificial intelligence and cognitive uh, amounts and that mixed in with the psychology. Uh, and in addition to that, I got a job at the university helping them develop their uh, entrance exam for students. So altogether, I, uh, I, I discovered the whole world of assessment and I worked for a while with the university developing their entrance exam. And then I was uh, in Israel at the time. And when I came back to the UK um, looking for work in there, I thought I would go into the educational field. But in the UK, educational assessment is uh, run by teachers rather than by psychometricians. So I ended up in the occupational world and uh, brought all those uh, assessment skills to the world of work. Interesting. And do you want to talk a little bit about the British attitude to psychometrics? Because in the US, psychometrics is well understood and widely uh, valued and respected. Is it the same in the UK? I think the British are a lot more cynical, both about testing. I think testing in general is very much more accepted in the USA. And I think that psychology is more... Uh, mainstream in the USA. So people were much quicker in the USA to understand what psychology could bring to both their everyday lives and the idea of, of counselling, but also to the way we work and uh, understanding that. And I think Britain has always been quite slow and, and a little bit suspicious 
of the psychologists, we don't like to share how we're feeling. Um, so psychology kind of uh, is a little bit alien. So it's been much slower and it's, it, it's, it's much harder. You know, in the States, when you tell someone in the psychologist they're interested and they want to talk about psychology. And here, when you say, tell your apocryphal taxi driver that you're a psychologist, they... <laughs> They look a bit uncomfortable and they say, so I bet you know what I'm thinking. You know, there's a wariness about it, which I think is, which is quite hard. And it's it's very sad because psychologists have done a lot for the world of work. It was psychologists that invented the tea break. So um, you should listen to us more. Oh, that sounds good. He says, uh, let's sipping a cup of tea. So I think your one of your main jobs at the beginning was at SHL and you were one of the early psychologists there. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your time at SHL and what you did there? Yes, indeed. I wasn't one of the founders uh, of SHL. Uh, I joined uh, in the next phase, but I was the first person that worked there that had a purely test development remit. So SHL are very well known for the tests that they've uh, developed and they did a lot of innovation in the UK market in making tests appropriate for uh, the workplace rather than what had been done in the past, which was repurposing various instruments that had been made for other purposes for use in the workplace. But it was a great experience. I worked on a lot of different types of assessment and there was a lot of opportunity to develop innovative uh, materials. Um, so there's the kind of bread and butter ability test. Uh, I worked on the OPQ32, the revision of the OPQ. But also in the 90s, uh, we were doing things like um, video testing, which now is fairly mainstream. But at the time, we developed a nice test of a customer service test using video but in the end, the clients couldn't use it because they couldn't provide the computers for candidates to use to take the test. So it didn't sell very well. Another thing that I worked on was using item banking to create randomized testing. That was when people were starting to understand the power of internet-based assessment. And the problem was that you didn't want to use a static test when it was paper and pencil and you gave people a booklet and then took it away again. You could get away with just having a single form of a test for everybody. But once people were doing it remotely and in their thousands on the internet, we needed to have everybody having a, a different test. And a randomized item bank allows you to provide lots of different, uh, lots of different test forms and two people taking the same test won't see the same items. No, for sure. And so I think a lot of the uh, testing there was uh, recruiting. Uh, do you want to perhaps explain what the different kinds of assessments used in recruiting? Well, when you're using assessments in recruiting, the first thing you've got to ask is not what sort of assessment do I want, but what do you want to measure? And in recruiting, you're interested in finding people who will do the best job when you put them in position. So you need to think about what that means for your job. So it's not about whether it's a personality questionnaire or a situational judgment test, but it's about what are you looking for? And to, to understand that, you need to do some work on what the job is about, what the person's specification is, and really what differentiates people who will do well and, and who won't. But there are a lot of measures that you can use once you have identified what it is that you want to measure then you may find that you want some ability tests. It may be important to have people who've got good analytical skills and you might want to look at uh, verbal reasoning or numerical reasoning. You're almost certainly going to be quite interested in the way people do their jobs and the kind of 
competence and, and style that they bring to their job. Uh, and that will be probably shown very well by a personality questionnaire. But you might want to use a more contextual measure like a, a situational judgment test that would that would look at how people evaluate situations, how they understand what is going on and what might be appropriate actions to take. There, you know, there's a whole range of different things that you can use and it will depend what you want to measure. Also depend on there's a kind of a, a cost benefit issue. So how many people are you testing? Are you going to, if you're testing a lot of people, it may make sense for you to commission someone to make a test purely for your use that really fits the bill exactly. If you're only testing a few people, then you're better with an off-the-shelf instrument and you might want to look at the you know, the cost of that. Testing can be a very cost-effective way of whittling down your long list so that you're only doing very expensive assessments like interviews with a small number of people. So if you're going to have some of your maybe senior people interviewing candidates uh, for a role, you really only want the most likely candidates to go there. You don't want those senior people spending days interviewing lots of people. I've heard some stat reports which suggest that interviews don't correlate that well with job performance, but the tests can do better. Uh, so there are interviews and interviews. So if you want, the, the research says that if you can only do one thing, that almost certainly the best single measure will be an ability test. But having said that, interviews can work quite well, um, but you need to have a structured interview and you need to build that interview and that structure to be relevant to the job. So if you're just interviewing someone and having a nice chat and you've maybe got someone who's got a favorite question that they like to ask, that almost certainly is not providing information which is relevant to, to the role. Whereas if you structure the interview, and there are different ways of doing that, so that you're actually collecting information that is telling you about how suitable people are for the job, uh, and you have a qualified interviewer, somebody who's got the training and knows what they're doing, doing the interviewing, then interviews do quite well. I, I always think it's a little bit um, odd about interviews that anybody is allowed to interview and interviewing is quite difficult. You have to frame the question and then you have to ask it and then you have to listen to the answer. You have to think about if you want to have a follow-up question to get more information, you need to be recording what is going on and, and, and making sure you've got the information you need to score that later. And at the same time, you need to be managing the relationship with the interviewee and nodding and showing that you're listening and being encouraging and all of those things. So that's quite hard. Whereas using a test where these days you just send the candidate a link and then uh, a very nicely organized report comes back telling you what you need to know. Mm -hmm. That's quite easy. But to use a test in, in, in recruitment, um, you should be you should have a certain amount of training, whereas to be an interviewer, apparently anybody can do that. So basically, interviews can work well if people are, know what they're doing and focus the interview on what's needed. And what about personality tests? So I know a lot of organizations use those to recruit people. Are they, are they valid? Are they appropriate? I think so, but um, I would say that. I wouldn't call them a test. I'd call them a questionnaire because with a test, you're saying, can you do this or can't you? Whereas with a questionnaire, you're finding out about people. So there aren't any right or wrong answers on a personality questionnaire. You're just describing yourself. The same literature that says that if you can only do one thing, the best thing to do is an ability test is quite strong on the fact that there are certain aspects of personality that have very strong relationships with a lot of roles. However, I think the power of personality is that you can look at 
how people would, how people's behavior suits a lot of different roles. And some people have concerns that if you use a personality questionnaire, you're kind of cloning people. Well, that isn't the case because you're only looking at certain aspects of personality that might be relevant to the job. But for instance, in a, in a kind of an obvious example, if you're recruiting into sales and these are people that have to go out and meet people and develop good relationships with people, you want someone with a degree of extroversion that would make them comfortable doing that uh, and make them engaging doing that. It's not that an introvert couldn't go and do that, but they would struggle. They would find it quite tiring doing that, whereas an extrovert would find it energizing. So there's a kind of a, a win-win situation. You will be much happier in a role that you are suited for in terms of your personality, and you're likely to do a better job. So somebody like me who's quite introverted, it would be fair to decline me for a sales job, for example, or, or somebody like me? I would never make a decision based on a single criterion of extroversion or whatever, whatever it might be. I don't think you should ever make a decision based on, on just one, uh, one element. But it would be a negative indicator that you were an extrovert. But, you know, there could be some sales roles that you would actually be good at and thrive at. So if it was a very technical sales role where you were more explaining to people how whatever the product was worked and would go across, that is less about relationships and more about understanding what you're selling. Whereas there are other types of sales roles which are very much about relationships. But it would, it would depend on a, whole, on a whole raft of things. Um, I would never say that you can't have introvert uh, salespeople, but there is research that says that in general, good salespeople tend to be more extrovert. Interesting. And and so I think what you're saying is that the most uh, valid way for a lot of jobs is mental ability tests and that structured interviews work well and personality tests can be helpful, uh, particularly for some roles where a particular aspect of personality is often important. Well, several aspects of personality. And in general, you want a mix of measures that will get you the best results. So an ability test is the best single thing, but there's no reason why you should use a single indicator. What you want to do is to be looking at the different aspects of your job and say, well, how am I measuring this bit? How am I measuring that bit? And how am I measuring that bit? And bring together a suite of uh, assessments which will cover the job. That may sound a bit complex, but you probably do that anyway because you start out with an application form or a resume or something like that. And that's telling you a lot. That's telling you about whether people have got the qualifications, have got the the experience and knowledge base that you that you might need for the role. So that's a whole set of things. And then you might look at whether they have the um, intellectual capacity that you're looking for for the role and then you might look at whether their personality style aligns with the role and then you might look at their general approach to something like management or leadership to see if that aligns with what you're looking for. So you, you, you want to bring together a range of different things. Interesting, very interesting. And I think when you finished at SHL, you became an independent consultant. And I believe you work, you work with a whole range of different clients in the UK about being a psychometrician. That's about right. I'm a, a psychometrician for hire. <laughs> uh, I work with both test publishers like Question Mark, but I also work uh, with uh, directly with employers who want their own assessments building. Um, I, I 
directly help people build tests or I give people advice in terms of making their assessments better or auditing. And I, and I must say, and, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit as an example of the kind of thing you do. You're an absolutely brilliant person and one of the most precise people I know. You've just been recently helping us with our data literacy test that we're about to launch. Do you want to talk about a little bit what you did for us with that, just as any sort of example of what you do in uh, test design? Um, I can do. I think you said that um, I'm very precise. I think you're saying that I'm quite pedantic. But <laughs> well, there's another perhaps, perhaps that way. But I, I think it can be pretty helpful when you're working on questions to be extremely pedantic and precise because they have to be completely unambiguous. Absolutely. That's exactly the issue, that when you make an assessment, you're only going to get the information that you need and you're only going to be fair to the candidate if the question is very clear and they know what you're asking for and they can try and answer it to the best of their ability. But if the question is ambiguous and some people think it means something else and give you a different answer, you don't want to mark people down for doing that. So, so developing a test is very much about, uh, I mean, in terms of the data literacy uh, tests that we did, we had to start out by defining what we meant by data literacy um, in the work context and what we wanted uh, to measure. Um, and that is, um, it has a, it relates, of course, to general numeracy skills, but it goes beyond there. It's not just about understanding numbers, it's being able to use them in context. It's uh, understanding the strengths and weaknesses of data that you have for answering a particular question. It's communicating the data in an appropriate manner. So there's a lot more to it than just the numbers. And we spent quite a long time thinking about that, working with Cambridge Assessment in terms of uh, their work on data literacy, but also talking to people in organisations around how important data literacy is and what it means to them for their staff to have data literacy, how that impacts on the way they work. And from that, we got a definition from which we could develop uh, some questions which were tapping those the kind of skills that we'd identified. And then we spent a long time writing and reviewing those questions. And that's where being a, a pedant and being precise is really important. People don't understand how long it takes to get from an idea of a question to one that will uh, really work for lots of people and people will understand that you've phrased the question really clearly but not taken out all the difficulty of the question by uh, by the way you've asked it so that that's quite a, a skill of uh, of item writers and we worked with a whole team of, of people with skills in that area um, and then the next stage of developing the test is around piloting it with a large sample of people to make sure that you do get consistent patterns of responses. And there's quite a bit of statistical analysis that goes into those results to really understand the questions and to choose the best ones to go into the final test. That's the bit I like the best, the mathematical bit. But I tend not to talk about that a lot because I find not so many other people do. Well, uh, you did a fantastic job on that. And whenever you sort of send some questions to, to, to you, they always come back with uh, quite a lot of comments, but they're always very accurate to the point comments that you think, gosh, why didn't I think of that? So let's move on and talk about assessment standards. So uh, I think you've done a variety of different projects, standards projects over the years. You want to, to, to mention mention a couple? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I got into thinking about standards. It was when I was um, at SHL, actually, and somebody called me. I'm not sure why it came through to me, uh, 
but we used to take turns dealing with queries, so maybe it was that. And they and, and, and this person said, um, we use your tests for selection, uh, but I've got a, a, a candidate who's blind, and this was way before the Disability Discrimination Act. Uh, and she said, so she won't be able to do the test, will, will she? So I, I can't really um, take her through to the next stage. And my hackles really went up, and I thought, you know, this is a person that's using tests that we developed to enable employers to make good decisions and to help get the right people into jobs. And she's using the test as an excuse not to engage with what is obviously for her extra work in terms of working out how to assess this person who is blind. And I just thought, you know, we need standards in, in testing. And on the back of that, after giving her some advice about how the candidate could be tested, we developed a, a guideline uh, in SHL on testing people with disabilities, which was one of the first. And since then, I've done a lot of work uh, with you, as you've mentioned, on the ISO 10667, which is the international standard for assessments. I've worked on European standards for test users and tests. I work with the British Psychological Society as a test reviewer. I was a consultant editor for quite a period. They have a test review process where you can look up different tests and see, find a professional review of the quality of the test. And what would you say was the sort of benefit of standards to the community? Is it that they help ensure that assessments of better quality or that um, uh, people with accessibility issues get the right treatment or? I think there's a lot of uh, benefits to the testing community. I mean, I, I think that you can't maintain standards unless you make them explicit. So unless we tell people who are using tests what the standards should be, not everybody will think about everything when they're getting on with their daily lives. Standards are really useful to us because they give us a, a, a benchmark. They tell us where what we should be aiming for. Uh, so from that point of view, they're really good. And I think they also, particularly in uh, in testing or assessment where you need quite a lot of expertise, not just to do it, but to understand what the standards are. The existence of standards is very helpful. So, for instance, the work that the uh, British Psychological Society does in reviewing tests and providing test user qualifications, that has had a really knock-on impact on the quality of tests out there because test users are trained to a standard that they can ask the right questions. And I know now that they ask test publishers, has your test been reviewed? Does it meet, meet the standards? And whilst when the British Psychological Society first started reviewing tests, it was quite hard to get people to submit tests for review. Now there are a lot of people come knocking on the door and they say, look, I need my test reviewed because my clients won't buy it until it's been reviewed. And that is forcing people who develop tests to work to to those standards and so that that raises the standards all round because they have been set out the ISO 10667 standard I know some of my clients have said we're going to review our practice against the standard and that makes them think about things they identify areas where they haven't been working to the standard so so they do have an impact in terms of improving the general um, standard of practice. That's excellent. So one of the things I like to ask people usually sort of towards the end of the podcast is to give advice to other people and what, what they can take away to make better assessments. So what would your advice be to people creating or, or using uh, assessments? So creating and using assessments are, uh, are obviously um, different things, but but they are related. 
And I have a kind of a a four point plan for um, for using assessments effectively. And the first point, and probably the most important point, is having clear criteria, knowing it what it is that you want to measure. And that's about understanding the context of the measurement and what you what you want to know. Because if you don't know what you want to know, you aren't going to measure it effectively. And, you know, people come to me and say, well, what I'd like is a situational judgment test. And you have to row back from that and say, well, what do you want to measure? And then we'll see if a situational judgment test is the best way of measuring that. Um, you then need to have something that will assess that as accurately as you can. We're measuring people, so that's always um, problematic. But accurate assessment is having good instruments. It's also having trained users, people who know how to use the assessment correctly. And then you need to think about your decision making. So how are you going to use the information from the assessment to really support your uh, decision making effectively? It's all very well having a personality profile, but you've got to move from that into saying, what does that tell us about how this person would do the job? And how do we compare this person who's got skills here but is slightly lacking there with this person who's better just where the other one is weak? But is, you know, how are we going to make decisions based on that information? And lastly, you just need to follow through on your decisions, monitor your outcome. That can be both in terms of diversity and equality, but just in terms of effectiveness. There's a kind of a, a paradox with when you're doing assessment for recruiting, which is you only ever see the performance of the people that you recruited. And for the most part, most people who apply for jobs are in the ballpark of making a reasonable stab at it. They may be some of them better and some of the worst, but they can all do it. So you just see the person that you selected come in and they can do the job and you think, okay, well, I made a good decision. But what you don't see is what the three people that you rejected might have done with the job. And we can be fooled into thinking we've done a better job than we actually have. So you need to do the sort of research that looks at the whole pattern of the performance of people in roles with their assessment information to make sure that you actually are doing a good job. And that follow-up will help you improve what you're doing. I mean, obviously, if you're doing single jobs, that's, that's a harder thing to do. But where you've got uh, mass recruitment, that's really important. And the cost benefit of doing it is massive. So basically, it's not good. It's not good enough just that the people you recruit do well in the jobs. You've got to think about whether the people you didn't recruit might have done better. Exactly. You don't want to be rejecting your potential star performers. No, I, I think that that's a, that's a very powerful thought on on which to end the, the podcast. And I think, if, if I understand right, the key thing you want to say is that you've got to first of all work out what it is you're trying to measure, and then make sure that what you are measuring does fit that. Exactly. Okay, well, thank you very much indeed. I, I really think that's a, a very interesting insight. And thank you very much to our audience for joining us today. Please reach out to me directly at john at with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our many best practice webinars. Thanks again, and please tune in for another exciting podcast discussion we'll be releasing shortly. Mm -hmm.